Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Over the Ball is brought to you by Soccer America. Soccer America, the soccer paper of record. Go to SoccerAmerica.com and sign up for your subscription today. And by Nella from Fitbiomics. A Harvard doctor has found a probiotic strain that is found in most world-class athletes. Not all probiotics are the same. More information on all our sponsors at OverTheBall.com slash sponsors. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn and Chris Shamides. Well, a lot to go over today, Chris. We're going to check in on uh, the road to the World Cup. We are in striking distance here. MLS playoffs, uh, Pulisic with a nice assist yesterday. Barcelona eliminated today. Uh, so much to get to. So, uh, Chris, great article in Soccer America, one of our sponsors. Road to Qatar, or Qatar, depends who you're talking to. Tomato, tomato, potato, potato. Uh, final push begins for the U.S. men's national team players. Just three weeks remain before the break uh, for the World Cup. So interesting, Chris, as a coach, I'm thinking about you as a coach, thinking about you. Um, how do you handle this? You've got players who are playing in Europe. Some of the guys who are injured are coming back. Uh, MLS is in its playoff. Now you've got Philly and NYCFC and LAFC and Austin. So you've got some players playing still, only two, by the way. Um, but how do you handle guys that are out of season now? Because there's that big letdown after the season. You know, you're out of the playoffs or whatever. But you got to keep guys fit, got to keep them sharp for the World Cup, which is happening in three weeks. Yeah, I mean, I think the players are individually motivated. So now it's just a matter of in the absence of team training. Um, some clubs do continue to train after the season, but they, they tend to give some time off first. And that's that's not conducive to what these players need. So they're going to have to find a way between this, the performance staffs of their club and the U.S. national team to come up with a regiment to get them over the line before they get to the camp. The the idea of having a, a small fitness camp for some of these MLS players, I think it's 10 names or something like that in Texas. Yeah, in Dallas, right? Yeah, I think it's in Frisco, Texas. Yeah, where the FC Dallas is. Um, they're, uh, that That's going to be their bridge to, to kind of gauge where they're at and also kind of give them proper training to, to be physically ready for the men's national team camp. You know, a couple of things are bothering me. Well, one, I have to say there's only two players that are still in the playoffs that are in contention spots for Burhalter's team. It's NYCFC goalkeeper Sean Johnson and LAFC midfielder Kellen Acosta. Um, I, 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 what, what do you think? Are those those guys on the roster or not? Yeah, for me, one is, one isn't. Uh, Kellen Acosta is. He's very mobile. He can play anywhere in the midfield. Uh, he can step mm -hmm. in and start. He can be a reserve and still be a versatile player that can help the roster in many ways. And in his back pocket, he has played outside back. So Yeah, I was just going to say that. I, I remember yeah. him outside back. And, and you could see him playing, you know, a central defender if he had to. I don't think he would in this cycle, maybe later on in mm -hmm. his career, but I don't think he has enough minutes in that position. But he could play yeah. at outside back if needed. to, if needed, And in a tournament, tournament format, that uh, can sometimes be valuable is to have someone with a second or third position. I like that kid. He seems like a cool customer. I don't know if you've ever uh, coached him at all, but uh, I do. The first thing you notice is his versatility and the, you know, his ability to do lots of different things. Um, I think it's unfortunate for Sean Johnson because he's playing well. He's, he's in the hunt, but uh, I think that goalkeeper position, the three spots is pretty much tied up. You agree? Yeah. I mean, I think obviously Turner is, and I think he's the starter for every game. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I actually think the other lock is Horvath. I, I, and, and I'm not saying he's number two. He may end up as number three. But I think he's 
got some stability to him, and he's he's been very consistent with when he's been asked, called on. Uh, Zach Steffen has gone up and down a little bit in the last 12 months in different ways, and so I'm not sure where his form is. I know he's been playing regularly now, so hopefully that helps him to get the nod. But I think if he's in good form and he's fit, I think he gets a nod ahead of Sean Johnson. Uh, okay, Ethan Horbath. Yeah, he played well in when he was called up before, and like you said, uh, Kellen Acosta has, has you know, at, at sometimes really – helped get this team to where they are. So I think you're probably right. Yeah, I mean, looking regard. at the LAFC midfield, uh, watching them closely over the last few years and, and getting a, really a good sense for each of those individuals and then seeing Kellen Acosta get dropped into that group and excel athletically, he is that good athletically. So, and he serves a very good ball. He's very good on set-piece service. Um, and he brings a lot of versatility position-wise. So I think he's a lock. You know, now this isn't, uh, well, this is, uh, I guess, uh, part of the U.S. men's national team and, and what we we talk about here in the show. But one of the concerns I have is looking at the MLS rosters is the lack of American players through it. I think each year it seems to be less and less. And, man, when I was playing, it was uh, NASL, and there weren't any American players on the roster then, and it was sort of miserable time for American players. So uh, I don't know if you've noticed that as well. Yeah, sure. I mean, we're we're a league that is not mandated. You know, X number of Americans have to be on the field. Uh, we have a do we do have a certain number of international spots on each MLS team, um, but mm-hmm. that number is high. It's ten or more at times. So you know, and and there's you know active processes in place to get green cards and all these other things. So sometimes right. you have more than the typical allotment per se. Um, but but having said that, you know, the market is so global now, and scouting is so global that you can go into some of these smaller markets, Central America, certain South American team uh, countries, and you can grab a lot of good young talent um, that at age 19, 20, 21 has maybe done a bit more than some of the American players have at that at that stage of their career, especially some of the ones that have gone to college, unfortunately. So there's a gap in experience there, and a lot of these MLS teams are choosing those players. Yeah, they're choosing those players. They're coming from Brazil, Colombia, actually, and a lot of people within our region, Mexico, Costa Rica, um, making the MLS and then making their national team stronger and better. And, you know, yet the American player, I don't know. Again, I'm telling you, when I was playing, we were all kind of looking when we were going to get drafted and who was going to draft it. It kind of didn't matter at the end of the day. I think they had American players for personal appearances. Uh, And then even the American players, you'd be like, that's the two American players on the NASL team. And they couldn't even speak English. You know, so it sort of, it really got, it very, got very frustrating for an American player. And this leads us back to the college question all the time, which does it become superfluous, you know, to to be a college player? I mean, I think if you're a very, very strong young American player, you're being signed to go to other countries, some smaller leagues in Europe, or if you're a top, top player, some of the bigger leagues in Europe. Uh, And that seems to be, you know, like I say, when the world has gotten smaller, like, the world is very aware of our top players. And so our players are being offered those contracts. So now the second level player, once you get past the, you know, the, uh, the pool of six and the G arenas of the world, you know, that second level player maybe can get to a smaller club in Europe um, or, but that is the equivalent of being in MLS and there's more money there sometimes. And also they may not get into the first team in MLS. And so there's, there's a scarcity of players, you know, who are American, who are at that next level and it makes you think, like, like if a Chris Wondolowski came out of the gate out of the college game today, does he end up right. being the Chris Wondolowski that that he became? Because he had so anyway. many open opportunities with second teams and chances in early MLS rosters that maybe he wouldn't have gotten now, and he may right. have been someone who didn't play, or maybe just ended up in USL and never became the leading scorer of MLS. 
Well, that's the biggest difference I see sometimes. These players develop at a more rapid rate than American players do because I think for a long time we were on the college track uh, where you, you, know, you develop through high school then try to you know, become a better player in college, uh, you know, and then you're 22. And at 22, man, you know, a Messi or somebody else is already in the league for a couple of years. Um, you know, and this is what we talked about with Pulisic again, is always saying that 14 to 16 year old window is really where you need to make a lot of impact and, and gather a lot of, um, you know, skills and, and get the games and get the reps in. And I, I don't think we are set up for that here. I mean, certainly the club teams are doing it a little bit, um, but not at the level. And I think, you know, conversely now, you're, you're a women's coach. Uh, our women are going overseas to, to play there because their infrastructure's there. Uh, they get the, they get the reps, they get the training, they get the facilities. It's, it's all there. I'm, I'm, just a little nervous about the underbelly of what we have. Because yeah. we've always talked about, what, 300 million people here. We're going to be a powerhouse. But if it's not efficient, it's not efficient. Yeah, and I think one of the signs has been that the MLS draft has gone down in, in terms of importance. They have fewer rounds. There are teams that don't value it. Um, and, and there are teams that do. And they're different. Um, how teams approach, how they fill up their roster. Um, but that used to be a, a six round affair and then it went down to four rounds. I think it's down to like two rounds now. And even that you have teams that pass or trade away their first round pick and don't treat it as a priority because they don't see it as a place where they're going to get players. Well, and here's another thing you could do. The NFL draft is this huge thing because players have followed, people have followed the college players to come into the pro. So they know everybody is being drafted in America. Uh, you know, I criticize Fox and ESPN because they do an MLS game and they start at the kickoff pretty much. And they end at the kick, you know, at the final 90 and you don't have a chance to talk about what happened, what's about to happen, what has transpired, um, what players did well, what was the coach thinking? They don't talk about any of that stuff. So there's no way to get sort of all that background information. And so you have a one hour NFL draft special that everybody watches, but MLS who's watching the kids in college or in the club programs, nobody. So it, it's, yeah. it, it's apples and oranges. Yeah, we used to have uh, an MLS draft show. It used to be on, and it would cover right. the the rounds, and there'd be a panel and all that kind of stuff. And I think that's dried up a little bit because there's been less and less interest in it. Um, and I think part of it is Yeah, but like, because of your point, Chris. Because I think you're saying that more of these foreign players are coming into the league, and so there's less of a, an attachment to the American player. Because, you know, I know... Uh, God, you know, when I when I was playing, Joe Maroney had only American players on his team. Uh, Clemson had not a single American player on their team. And um, it was like, wow. And they would get close to winning the national championship every year. Um, so I think if one coach takes a bunch of foreign players and one coach doesn't, the one who's not is going to be he's going to lose his job because he's not going to win. So there's no incentive for an American player to be put on a roster. Yeah, leagues have done different things. There are certain leagues that have, like MLS right now, that says, okay, you can have X number of spots for international players. But then there's other leagues that have said, you, not only do you have to have American players, but for example, I'm just talking off the top of my head, like you have to have at least five American players on the field at all times. You know, so you're starting lineup as you make substitutions. You always have to have five Americans on the field. The Italians have done that in the past. Uh, sometimes when leagues have struggled with player development, they've reverted to that in order to give a lot right. of their young players in their country real experience and real games and real minutes. 
And so that's something we haven't gone to. I think it's been brought up before. Um, I think Bruce Arena's actually brought it up before, the concept of sure. it. And it's, it's at least worth discussing um, because where are the American players going besides the Pulisic's of the world? Where are the other American players going? And, and Pulisic, Pulisic had to have... He was uh, had a foreign birth connection through Croatia, I think, maybe through his mother or father. I forget which, but he had to jump through those hoops to get over there uh, to play in Germany. So, you know, here are the, the, the hoops that we have to jump through that other players don't have to jump through coming from other countries to our country. So, I don't know. Um, it's probably a bigger, wider discussion. And it also involves, you know, what we've talked about before with the, the sort of uh, the college game, especially for the men. I think the, the women, it's a different situation, but uh, especially for the men. So um, to get back to the World Cup team, though, um, of the 28 players based abroad and under consideration um, uh, who've had – well, so you have Cameron Carter-Vickers, who got beat uh, the other day, but they didn't score the goal. I saw that. Uh, you have Vickers, Musa, Robinson – Stefan, Weya, all missed the U.S. matches in September because of injuries, but they've all returned to action. Mm -hmm. So um, Reggie Cannon and Gio Reyna were, were injured during the September window as well, but they both started over the weekend as well. Gio's got some magic, man. I'm telling you, that, that guy is a special player. Uh, do you see some of the stuff he does when they, uh, when they link up all the, the plays he's made over the course of a 90-minute game? Uh, he's, he's got that special touch, and he's only, what, 19 years old. Good first touch, uh, needs to stay healthy, can create goals, yeah. needs to be on the field for the U.S., in my opinion. Um, mm -hmm. Smart, delivers a very good pass in terms of timing, weight of a pass, location, accuracy, like all, all these things, really high level. Uh, and he makes plays happen. And if, you, if you're a good player and you play in and around him, good things are going to happen. All right, so we're both sold on, on Gio Reyna. I mean, what a player. But as a coach, Chris, uh, he does not look like he's the type of player who can play 90 especially in a World Cup window where it's sort of you're playing a lot of games in a couple of days, right? So uh, how do you use him uh, efficiently? Do you, do you sub him 65th minute to come on with this, or do you start him? Uh, what, what, would, what would your take be? I mean, for me, he's a primary player that has to play as many minutes as possible. I don't think he could be shy about it. I think I'd have to double check, but I think he just played 90 minutes against Man City. So, you know, mm -hmm. you can do that. You can do anything. So I, I, I think the World Cup being able to at least play two times 90 is for real. And then maybe the yeah. third game needs to be tailored. But even then, I don't think we have the luxury to not play him a lot of minutes. I think he has to play a ton of minutes in the first three rounds because we got to get through. So it might be game by game, depending on what kind of results they get in the first two. Maybe they could rest him in the third, for example. Um, but to be determined, I think he's going to play all or the majority of the minutes at, in, at the World Cup. You know, when I was playing, we used to call certain players that got injured all the time China dolls. Like certain guys just get injured at this, their muscle makeup, mess, you know, uh, skeletal makeup. Just, it seems like Aronson is not. He gets stuck in all the time. He's constantly moving around and he, he doesn't seem to get hurt, knock on wood. Um, Polisic, I always worry about injury wise. Giorena, I worry about uh, because they're thin of frame and sort of kind of leaner, which worries me. And on the opposite end, Zach Steffen always seems to get injured, uh, and he's he's bulky. So um, you know, I think we've talked about this before. The World Cup is a young man's game; it's played at a high rate of speed. Your recovery time is not as as long as it would be during the season. Uh, so that's an advantage with our young team. But I am 
you know, extremely concerned about um, about injuries, you know, to these some of these players. Yeah, but I don't think you can put that into your planning. I mean, you have to, as a coach, you have to just say, okay, are they fit and healthy? And if they are, um, we're throwing them in, you know, and they're going to play. If, look, we don't want anyone to get hurt, but they get hurt, they get hurt. But you got to play your best, and and then you got to pick the games where you feel like you can rest. Like for example, do you, do you bring Pulisic and Reina on at minute sixty against Iran? Like, does that make sense for them to play the last 30 minutes of that game and then play two times 90 in the others? Um, you could be game by game, you know, a little bit too, depending on the results within the group. Um, it's possible to get to the third game and not have to play those guys. So it's tricky, right? Because you don't want to have rested them in the second game when, when you don't need to play them in the third. So, you know, for me, it's you play your team and that's it. You play your guys and then you rotate them in a smart way and you have a plan A and a plan B and a plan C and then you follow that to a T once the games begin. You know, uh, Tyler Adams missed the last Leeds game. He was all over the the field with Fulham against Fulham. Um really impressive. I think he's one of those players, Chris, that uh I think is frustrating for that type of player because you don't get all the glory as far as that big goal that's scored or the fancy assist, but Tyler Adams does so much work off the ball and on the ball, but so much work off the ball, cuts down angles, uh, you know, actually, you know, the principle of defense, he like, he'll steal the pass before he even lets the man receive the ball half the time. His anticipation is so good. And I think that the common viewer doesn't always see the, that type of player, in, in my opinion. You? Yeah, I mean, that's their game model is for them to flat out intercept passes and go forward off of that immediately. So he's been coached mm-hmm. to specifically do that. They, it's, it's, he'll control the situation if he needs to, but he'd rather step in and win a ball. Um, so that's a part of how they play. You know, nowadays with the exposure that the players get, especially in the Premier League, I, I think all these players are, are known for who they are and what they bring to the table. Um, there's very few secrets nowadays with the amount of games that are televised and all that stuff. So Leeds themselves, right. obviously going through a tough patch, I think, you know, Jesse's Leeds team beat Chelsea and that was amazing. And we raved about that mm-hmm. first half and they haven't won in eight games now, you know? And so yeah. it's, there's always going to be a little extra pressure on an American coach. Um, but I think that the team is fighting. We always talk about their game model and the sustainability of it. But part of it is just you know, not a high-powered team in that in that league. And the league is so competitive. Week in, week out, you right. can absolutely lose every single game if you're a Leeds. So they're going through a rough patch right now. And they're in the relegation zone, uh, which makes me nervous. And they've had some really bad breaks because I've been watching them. I've been, you know, it's one of my teams now that I cue in on because of, you know, because of Jesse and, and the boys that are on the team. So uh, they've had some bad breaks, uh, some missed PKs, a few things that could have kept them in it. Uh, poor Jesse. I, I, you know, there's an American owner, so maybe the bias isn't as strong against him remaining in that position because it's his first full year. Um, you know, let's give him a break. Let him, you know, build a roster, especially in a league that Americans can't quite understand because nothing's even. You got the top six teams that have much more to spend, grab much bigger players, uh, you know, load up their rosters, and I don't think people understand that. You know, that just to stay in the league, stay mid-table, you're doing a hell of a job, and you'll get a bonus, right? Yeah, and I think for Leeds, yes, the they have one and only task, which is not to get relegated. And um, you know, these are when you go through a patch of eight games without a win, it, it requires a lot of object, objectivity, and you hope that the the club directors are looking at the games 
fairly, you know, meaning that, hey, there are a couple of things that were maybe, you know, anomalies like missed penalty kicks and whatnot. And, you know, you always kind of say to yourself, if you were to replay the game, those eight games again, from a data perspective, what are the odds that you would not have won those? And if, if you're just not getting the metrics to win a game and you're losing the locker room, then that's sometimes a time for a change of a coach. That does not seem to be the case in this situation. Yeah, he has the locker yeah, he has room. He has the locker room. Had and like you win, say, so. these games have been closed. There have been penalty kicks here and there. That could have gone a different way, and we'd be singing a different song. So, you know, got to let, let it breathe a little bit, hopefully. All right, so Champions League action yesterday. Pulisic had a, a really nice assist on a Kai Havertz goal. Um, you know, he... It was his first Champions League start of the season, so he always seems to deliver. I, I just don't get while he doesn't why he doesn't get the minutes. Any thoughts on that? No, I mean I think it's a new coach. They're getting to know him a little bit. You know, he's uh, Chelsea is uh, that's a Ferrari of a team. You know, so it's very difficult yeah. to get in. Uh, he's going to get rotated a little bit, and that's you know going to be the way that they operate because they're going to play so many games. Uh, between Champions League and Premier League and other domestic competitions that they might right. be in, it has to be rotation there. So that's par for the course. I'm not overly concerned about him not starting every single game as long as he's getting chances here and there. Right. He's getting time, and I'm hoping my, my hope is that he'll be fit and fresh when he gets to the cup. He will be. So, yeah. And then um, the hottest player on the national team has got to be Ricardo Pepe. I mean, he's got five goals in the last five games. Um Six goals and, and one assist in seven games since his loan from um, Augsburg. So uh, he seems to be, you know, you say this with strikers, Chris, right? It's all about timing. And when he, when are you peaking? And he's scoring goals. So I think he's, he's on the roster for sure. I think some of the other spots might be up um, for contention. But, uh, but, hey, love to see Pepe do it. And that'll keep the heat on Jesus. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, what has more value if, if you have Ferreras in MLS and Pepe's in Holland and Pulisic, so for example, is in England? You know, those are different leagues, and 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 being able to score different goals in those different leagues, how do you compare? I just compare four goals scored in that league versus two goals scored in this league. Those are those are difficult things. I, I would like to think that it doesn't come down just to form. There's so many variables that could affect form. Even the, the goal, the score of a game could affect, you know, whether your team is attacking more or not. And, you know, there's so many variables to that. I would like to think the coaches have already kind of dialed in who they think best suits their group. And yeah. this is all pre-decided already. You know, we were talking about, you know, Pulisic and maintaining fitness and being sharp. I'm, I'm on a kind of a sh- short tour here for four or five days doing a couple um, theaters here. With Jackie Flynn, my buddy, we were at the Throckmorton Theater. Sold out show last night, 300 uh, 50 people in this beautiful uh, theater and I had not worked in two weeks and there's a difference mm-hmm. they're really I'm just not as sharp I'm you know that the new stuff that I want to add I you know and I, I was thinking about the players it's like to you know you know as a player too Chris when you were playing if you missed a game or two you felt like an outsider right you know yeah so much yeah I mean the the fitness levels of, of the top top people it, it's so high that just two, three days could, could make them feel, right. you know, different, you know, and part of that could be, you know, physiological part of it could be psychological. Um, but you know, there, there is a sense that when you're that high of an operating machine that you need to keep spinning yeah. at that level and any slowdown makes you feel a little sluggish. Um, so yeah. So it's just like the muscle that you exercise when you're on stage, which is a different conversation. 
I tell you, dude, it was, uh, it's in Mill Valley. I don't know if you know anything about Northern California, but this I might be retiring up in this town. It is absolutely beautiful. Yeah, it's near I San tell Jose, you right? Well, I don't know, if it's, I don't know enough. It's about, it's about 20 minutes outside of uh, San Fran, over South. the bridge. Uh, north. 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 Okay. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to Atlas 101. So uh, I'm getting a sandwich at the Mill Valley um, Market here. I've been there. Guess who's, guess who's standing next to me? Gareth Bale. No, Christian Bale. No, for, that's last week. I always, <laughs> I always make the mistake. As everybody knows who's listened to this show, I uh, I always say Christian Bale when I mean Gareth Bale. Um, Wait, can I but guess? No, I'm standing. I'm standing. Go ahead. You want another guess? Yeah, one more. Kareem yeah, Abdul-Jabbar. Dude, it's like not, no, uh. no, I wouldn't recognize him. Uh, just kidding. <laughs> you would not recognize Kareem. Who's a hell of a guy, apparently. Um, I am standing next to Boz Skaggs, man. Ah. Next to Boz Skaggs. Now, you might be a little young for that, but our producer, Ken, would know who Boz was. Um, Silk Degrees, big hit. And I, I heard a story about Boz Skaggs. I think he was in such a tumultuous divorce, and I can speak from, from my experience in one of those. Um, his wife was going to get half of all proceeds from his next five albums. Or... The next whatever he made over the next twenty years. So guess what? He stopped making music. Oh. <laughs> oh my god! He bought a jazz bar and just kind of played it as a jazz bar, which I love because it's like I'm going back to playing the guitar, playing for small crowds. I have my money, um, and she's not getting half of my my creative work going forward. It's like Richard Pryor was like when he got divorced. He was like, she didn't tell one fucking joke. Now one fucking joke. She's gonna get half. One fucking joke. Half Eddie. Yes. Half Eddie. Uh, half Eddie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. With the with Eddie Murray. So anyway, that's a hell of a sighting. Wow. I think, so how did you how did you approach that? What was your entrance? I just go. Uh, I always cool myself out during these situations. Yeah. Now, if I had a show tonight, I would have said, "Hey, Boz, I'm a comedian. I'm at Throckmorton tonight. You want to come by? I'll throw you know leave you a ticket." Um, but I didn't have that in my my arsenal, mm. so I just looked at him and go. Sup, Boz? He's like, sup. Wow. That was And then we just cooled our way. You know, Boz Gags, Kevin Flint, two very cool operators. Do you think he went home that night and was like, that guy was so cool the way he said hi, Boz? Oh God. And his wife's gonna, you know, Google me and then she's gonna be thinking about me when she's with him. Oh, it's, just, it's a mess, man. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's a just, different show. it's just a mess. It really is a different show completely. So anyway, I love that guy's music. Uh, who's your favorite guitarist of all time? Because Boz, all those Texas guitarists, man, they they were amazing, and he was one of them. But he's like a, he was dressed kind of, uh, kind of like a yuppie, a little, uh, you know, couple of bracelets. But uh, other than that, he looked quite yuppie-ish. Who's my favorite guitarist? Yeah, Tom Morello. Wow, Harvard educated, one of my safety schools. Yeah, um, played with Springsteen a little bit. Yeah, who's Rage yours? Against the Machine, Stevie Ray Vaughan. Oh, sure, because oh. he's got uh, some chutzpah there, man, in it. So hey, a couple other things I want to talk about as we get back to our soccer show. Yes. Um, Barcelona eliminated second year in a row from Champions League. Afuera. What is going on? And that's with Lewandowski. Yeah. Uh, look, you know, Javi will tell you it's a project. It's apparently a bigger project than everyone thought. Um, it's somewhat consistent with their play and results. Uh, Real Madrid is ahead of them in La Liga and just mm -hmm. in terms of quality. Uh, the Clasico showed that. And, uh, you know, they're having a hard time. It's kind of like Juventus right now. Juventus, 
has been eliminated again in the Champions League. And the last four teams to eliminate them are the Portos of the world, the Benficas of the world. You know, they've been mm-hmm. knocked out by some, you know, all due respect to these clubs, but they're not the biggest clubs in Europe. And Juventus has struggled the last couple of years. I think you're seeing now Barcelona struggling. It does speak to two things, in my opinion. One, you know, just the the the, the gap that was left after Messi left. Just like the same thing at Man yeah. United when Sir Alex left. It was a big gap. To, it's just It takes a reorganization of sorts you know, emotionally, physically, everything. And so you have the same thing, you know, with two, that's happening um, with Man United has happened out of Barcelona. So they're they're kind of finding their identity again, and they're not at that level. And I also think the, the other part of it is that there's so much parity now across the world. Right. Scouting is dialed in so well that you, you can get a lot of really good teams to go toe-to-toe, you know, in terms of a lot of the metrics of speed and athleticism. Um, yes, certain players are worth more and certain teams like the Man City of the world are going to buy, you know, the Halans yeah. of the world. But there's tons of lower level players that are really, really good and they can compare it to yours. And now these teams are winning. Well, t- t- a couple things there. You know, one, it seems like if you're domestic league, there's not a lot of competition. It seems to hurt you when you go to Champions League. Um, and I think, you know, that that is a pretty apparent. The one thing I don't understand about Barcelona is they've had all this financial mismanagement. Then they lose Messi, right? Um, but somehow during this financial quagmire that they're in, they're able to secure the services of Lewandowski and yet they still can't win because obviously underneath, cause that guy's going to put the ball in the back of the net if you get him the opportunities. But, uh, the undercarriage is not as strong as Barcelona has always been. Let's put it that way. Speaking yeah. of undercarriages, uh, no, no, so no. And the other thing is I was going to say, I'm not going to talk about my undercarriage. Um, but what I was going to say, the, I read a stat about Barcelona. Of all that money that's spent, uh, very little is spent on the players' undercarriage. No, very little is spent on – it's 25% of it goes to the salary of players. The rest is all infrastructure. And that seems kind of out of whack. Yeah. I, you know, I got to a point with the Barcelona finances as a fan. I just threw my hands up. I'm like, I, I don't get it. You know, right. they have money. They don't have money. They have money. They don't. Now they sign Lewandowski. I mean, Lewandowski was very motivated to leave Bayern, so it looks like he targeted. He was right. targeting Barcelona, and he was gonna he was gonna find a way to say yes to their deal. Um, but you, know, you still have to pony up X amount, you know, to get him. So I, I don't know all the mechanics of that stuff. Yeah, um, but yeah, they're just, just not doesn't there. seem like, on the up and up, dude. That's all. Yeah, know? but you have a PK who's older. You have a Busquets who's older, and and those guys have mm-hmm. done a ton in their career, of course. But they're older players, and and. You don't really typically win with players in that age group that often. And and when you have a center back at that age and a center midfielder at that age, it can add up a little bit. And it is a team in transition. They've had something like three coaches in the last whatever year and a half. Yeah. Um, So, you know, that, that, that's hard to win that way, you know, and it's going to take a little time. Hopefully they have patience with Javi. All right. Let me ask you this. Let's uh, shift back to some domestic things here. Um, MLS, it's been leaked. Apparently, this isn't official in any way. Um, a significant overhaul of their playoff format. So they're saying that the team, which will, the league, which will, yeah. All right, Chris, let me bring it back to some domestic things here at MLS. Um, 
they're talking about, it's been leaked. Apparently this is not any official word, but there is going to be a significant overhaul of the playoff format in MLS. Um, the league, which will grow to 29 teams next season with the arrival of St. Louis City SC, um, they're going to increase the total number of playoff matches. Listen to this, from a current 13 to roughly 30 next year. Uh, so what, what do you make of that, dude? I mean, what I've heard is that they're looking at pool play, like groups. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I, I don't – my first reaction is I don't like that. I, I, I think basically that becomes a separate competition as opposed mm-hmm. as opposed to what we have now, which is seeded teams in a playoff format and running a tournament off of what happened in the regular season. It seems like a flowing continuation of the regular season, and it makes right. some sense. You play your regular season, you have your supporter shield champion – which is a little awkward because not everybody plays each other with the same schedule. Okay, but so be it. The team with the most points gets it. Fair enough. And then you enter a tournament, and everything is very you know clear. And and I like what they've done. I like where they are right now as a fan. It's very simple. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're one-legged affairs, and it leads all the way to with home field advantage carrying through. I think it's fair, and it's easy for the fans to understand, and it's actually – quick and easy which we have to remember we we run our mls playoffs during the nfl season which is hard right so like it's probably better to be quicker and easier than it is to be extended because we may lose traction especially in group play like we we went through a whole regular season and now we're in group play like i I don't i don't like that i'd rather have one gets convoluted confusing you look at some of these games like the austin games the real salt lake games in the playoffs there's so much tension it was awesome you know, and so that's what I've really enjoyed. I don't think you get that in group play. Hey, and a great, great story for Austin. It's their second year, and they're still they're in the playoffs still, uh, down to four. And um, you know, they're taking on LAFC, and uh, that would be a nice, nice story for them. Yeah, year two to make it to this this far yeah. is great, and finished so high up in the Western standings, and you know, come on the road and, and come to LA and try to knock off the Supporter Shield winner. Um, They've played some good games this year, so I think it's going to be, you know, a tough one. Pressure's on LAFC, um, so we'll see what happens there. In my opinion, LAFC is better, and I think that they'll they'll get All right, through. We'll see. Hey, and um, we got to wrap it up here, but uh, MLS Awards Phillies Jim Curtin, second Coach of the Year award for him, and I know you've worked with him. Uh, what's what's his secret? Yeah, I mean, they've got a great thing going in Philly with how they give opportunities to young players, how they identify young players, coach young players, um, you know, and really kind of enable them. And and he's a really good coach for that because he's got a great personality to hold them accountable, but also the patience to, to bring them along in a good way. And, and they play the defending champions, NYCFC, in their semifinal. Um, so I think that part's good. I think you do have to ask yourself, why does Jim Curtin win MLS Coach of the Year when – Steve Trundle won the supporter shield. Why would you not give it to a first year? He's the first, he's the coach with the most points ever as a first year coach. And he won the supporter shield. Why would you not give it to them? And I understand the player yeah. pools are different. LAFC is a bit of a Ferrari and Philadelphia plays a lot of young players. Um, but you could argue the West is stronger than the East. You can go back and forth on that one. You know, I always like it when the, the coach who finishes at the true top actually gets it. That is nothing against Jim Curtin at all. He's an amazing coach and yeah. uh, a great, great guy and has developed into a really strong coach. And so, you know, it's exciting to see that. But I'll tell you what, if Philly plays LAFC in the final, that would be that would be fun. I think you made the, the point, though, which is one 
grooms and comes back to my point about American players. One grooms and coaches American players, does the most with young American players, and the other guy is managing talent. Um, you know, so it's a very different. So maybe that that is why uh, that was happening. So let, let's come back to you here uh, before we wrap. Um, how did the women wind up? How did it all go? Yeah, good. Uh, I've, heard, I've heard lots of great things about you in LA, about just people saying you've turned the program around, and um, now you get to recruit off of that and, and keep continuing to work. Yeah, we have three really difficult games to finish the year, but you know, we grabbed another yep. one, another win recently, a couple of losses as well, but we're hanging in there. You know, all of yeah. all of the metrics from last year to this year have been better, so you know we're excited about that. We 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 certainly have kind of you know made ourselves hard to beat and, and put ourselves in a position to build forward. So we're excited about it. And what did you feel like in the locker room? Did you feel like there was a certain point where it changed? Was it in preseason that you said, no, well, this is a new team. Forget of the past. Here we go. And, and once you had that conversation, was there a time when you really saw it in their faces, like one tie or one win uh, okay, they believe. They're they're listening to me. They they get it. They're on board. Yeah, like like all teams are the same. You start in preseason and and you have certain goals and you you, you try to in a day day in day out way be consistent about how you how you attack the day and the training session and the games that are coming and the preparation and the work that goes behind it and and, and when you do that in mm-hmm. a good way every single day that becomes the culture in and of itself. And so once they started getting some more results and rewards for their work some wins, some ties, whatnot, you know. They believe. Yeah, they, they start to say, okay, you know, it adds up to something. And we have a long way to go. But, you know, in the meantime, sure. it, it's at least, a, you know, a step in the right direction. Well, you got to be proud of them. And I, and I also think that uh, a new group of players come in next year, but the older players are there to kind of guide them and help them along and to say this is his system, this is what to expect, all that. And then you have implemented your coaching philosophy on the, on the program. Yeah, that's the fun part about the college game. You know, there's pros and cons between the pro game and the college game. But the fun part about the college mm-hmm. game is there always is natural turnover. You know, players are graduating every year. So, you know, yeah. you always have a chance to refresh the squad. And, and that keeps you fresh as a coach. And it creates a new team every year. So there's a new challenge every single year. And that that's, uh, you know, that, that part's kind of nice and refreshing. And as a coach, I, I tell you, going back to the alumni game that I went back to a couple of weeks ago, the impact that playing on a team – with your boys or with your women um, is pretty amazing. It sticks with you for the rest of your life. It sort of influences, for the most part, I'm sure not everybody, but boy, uh, guys talk about how it was such a, a formulative few years of, and it, it uh, sort of um, influences everything that happens as you go forward. So there's quite a responsibility as a coach, not just winning, but you're shaping young people's lives. And so I think it's very admirable. I'm a little too selfish to have been a coach. I like to volunteer, but uh, oh, I would have liked to coach you, Kevin. That would have been fun. <laughs> yeah. And they always had me room with the goalkeepers. I don't know why. I was a little nutty, I, I guess. I think that so, says it all. Um, all right, man. Well, that's all the time we have today on Over the Ball. Remember to download us wherever you get your podcasts and do us a favor. Will you go on Facebook, Twitter, give us a like, uh, go on podcast uh, on the Apple podcast and give us a review. It makes a big difference, everybody, as we're trying to be uh, have an American voice in this uh, in this fantastic game we all love. All right, for Chris Shamides, I'm Kevin Flynn, and we'll talk to you next time on Over the Ball. Call or text us at 424-229-2247. That's 424-229-2247. 